Good morning, Wisconsin. So let's pour that coffee and talk to some experts about what's going on in Milwaukee, Madison, Washington, and beyond. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. It's the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. Should we talk about the government? Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This week's flying by. It's Thursday already. I call this my smart day because I have guests that are smart and certainly smarter than me. To my right, retired Milwaukee County Justice Judge Mary Kuhnmensch. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. And to my left, radio left, for all of you, James Santel, former U.S. attorney and now radio guy as well. Maybe we'll dip into some of that later. So you, you certainly know the craft, my friend. Delighted to be here with both of you. Uh, Judge Mary remains one of the great assets, judicially and otherwise, in this community. Delighted to be with Mary this morning, and you, Steve, of course. Look at him throwing out the compliments. I know. Right? You know, he, it's pra- true. he practiced it's before true. me, so I it's know his true. style. I think they call that working in a room. <laughs> All right, so let's get to it. Breaking news yesterday, Supreme Court has said, and said in April, Dave, oral arguments. This is, the to me, sort of the big question, right? Can Trump, former President Donald Trump, be prosecuted for election interference? Who wants to go first? Well, you know, I I I, I am known as a uh, half glass full positive <laughs> person, but I will tell you that the Supreme Court uh, ruling last night, uh, putting a stay on those proceedings, uh, has shocked me and tested my half glass full uh, philosophy. Having said that, though, Steve, I'm, I'm I've been thinking about the issue uh, without the noise from MSNBC or Fox where they think the sky is falling or cheering victory already. The, the fact is that when I look at this from just the judicial lens, um, it makes sense on a couple of levels. First, uh, John Roberts, our chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, has always been known as a, as a institutionalist and a, uh, a centrist. And he is trying to accomplish, I think, two things in this respect. Number one, he believes that anything involving the executive or the legislative uh, you know, at this level, uh, uh, a question of law with respect to the president, no matter how silly it may seem to those of us who ultimately think how the court's going to rule on this and deny uh, the uh, and going to tell Trump that he does not have absolute immunity. But having said that, he wants to walk through the paces. That means that means that he believes the Supreme Court, not the third district, but the Supreme Court needs to weigh in on this. I don't fault him for that. Uh, and if that slows the process down, but that he weighs in on it or the court weighs in on it, I think that's actually long-term a good thing. Secondly, I think he is trying to build a consensus on that court. He has uh, been struggling mightily with some of the uh, far-right uh, 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 justices on that court. And he has, with uh, Kavanaugh and with Coney Barrett, an opportunity to bring them more towards the center with him, to be almost Anthony Kennedy-esque. Uh, where they side, other than the issue of abortion, uh, which I think was preordained from their perspective, but on other issues, I think that they, you will find them moving towards his direction and align themselves with the more liberal uh, elements of that court. So from the lay perspective, settling the question, settling the court, perhaps. S- understanding what the court is and what it's going to be. I, I think that's right, too, and I, I would, I would uh, describe Mary's good summary here as saying they're writing for history. 
they're not going to be telling us anything we do not know and have not heard before for 240 years. You know, United States versus Nixon already affirmed this notion. Presidents are not kings. We know that already. The sun does rise in the east. So when the decision comes out in June, they're not going to tell us anything we don't already know. They're writing for history. They're writing to tell us to reaffirm for this generation what it is we already know. Why didn't they let the lower courts, since it was unanimous, and from what I can tell from legal experts and scholars, they said the right things. They made it very clear. Why didn't they, other than that they want to have the final say in the Supreme Court, think, is that it? I think that's it. You've got two great opinions from Judge Shutkin. You've got the three-judge panel from the D.C. Court of Appeals saying emphatically this is clear. They could have, and that was what the speculation was. That's what was happening the last yes. couple of weeks. Everyone said what they're doing is they're going to decide not to take the case, but they're writing all kinds of concern, concurrences to affirm the lower court, basically. That didn't happen. But what they do have out there in the history are these two wonderfully well-written, compelling decisions by the district court, by the appeals court. They could have simply said, yes, we concur in that. They've decided that they're going to take this on and issue their own opinion. The long-term result of this, of course, is going to be citing United States uh, versus Trump coming out of the Supreme Court and not the Court of Appeals and the District Court. Both of you have said you think they're going to affirm what the lower court said. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If they didn't, what do we have? Well, I, I would say the, the most concerning piece of their decision, I, I guess I'm not as um, concerned that, yes, it's going to delay the trial, which is the whole point of this exercise, to give Trump his day in court. Uh, he's like every other citizen, and we want him to have his day in court. Uh, justice denied, or justice delayed is justice denied. And that principle could have been uh, affirmed by them had they changed one aspect of their decision, which is to allow... Uh, the trial court to continue uh, with their work while they were then doing their own hearings at the Supreme Court level, which is a, one of their options. They had the right to, li- uh, uh, to lift the stay and allow those proceedings to go on. I, I think I'm most concerned about that piece of their decision, not that they've accepted it, not that they're uh, what some people are calling slow tracking it. I call it the regular process of justice. Uh, and in fact, they've they've uh, they've sort of pushed it up a little bit. I think they have oral arguments scheduled for April, right. late April, right. uh, which is the last week actually of their it session, is. I believe. It is, right. And then uh, a decision. I don't know how you feel about that, Jim, but I think a decision actually will be forthcoming sometime in June. Mm-hmm. So, um, so but that being said, I, I I'm concerned that they did not lift the stay uh, and allow the lower court. Now, the only reason I can think of is they don't want to signal in any way, this is a PR aspect, of how they're going to ultimately rule. Um, And by issuing a stay, there are some... There's some thought that they were they're going to signal. Well, we we're going to reaffirm what the third district just uh, decided, but we're going to do it as the Supreme Court, and they don't want to trigger that or or sort of give a a, a notion. That's the only good explanation I have for why they uh, uh, didn't uh, why they lifted the, they didn't lift the stay. Let's take a break here. Retired Judge Mary Kuhnmensch and former U.S. Attorney James Santel joining us. Uh, we'll continue that conversation. I've got some questions, sort of on the timing of all of this. And I know that's certainly not something that the court necessarily has to pay attention to. We'll ask the judges and former U.S. attorney, judge and former U.S. attorney, that question after this on the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Uh, we got a good one today in studio. Retired Milwaukee County Judge Mary Kuhnmensch and former U.S. attorney Jim Santel. All right, so this is not a legal question, but it sort of re- you know, relates to that question, this question of timing. Timing, the, yes. The judges and the, and the justices, they have no 
need to rush here. They they don't. Do they look at that a looming election or at all? They they've got to file their reports for the administrative office of U.S. courts to tell them how many motions they got resolved. Those kinds of things. But that's really the only homework assignment they've got out there. The answer is no. And especially the Supreme Court, it can do what it wants to do in terms of timing. And they've done that in the past, uh, plainly even the past a couple of terms. They're certainly, however, mindful that they're living in the world. And do they know that there's an election coming up? You bet they do, especially because they've also got this other case still pending. We've talked about it before, Steve. They still have the Colorado thing, and they've got to get that out sometime in the next 10 to 15 days or so. You've got a decision. You've got to get that out before Super Tuesday. That should come out next. That one will also predictably be uh, Donald Trump back on the ballot in Colorado. But the answer is no. They can do this whenever they want. Uh, they will probably issue the decision in, Ju- in June. And again, as Judge Mary has said, it will be an affirmation. It's got to be an affirmation that the president is not immune from prosecution. What, what would it say, though, if you allow the president to have that kind of power, whatever way the court rules, let's say Donald Trump wins. And again, all of these cases, maybe convictions, maybe acquittals, we don't know yet. They're, they're ongoing. And the president says, you know what? I'm pardoning myself. Does that make the decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court sort of moot? I mean, what are we talking about here? It, it does not, as a legal matter, practically for the history of the nation, does it? You bet it does. Plainly, if he does one of a couple of things, this whole issue of whether you can pardon yourself, very much undecided, never happened before. Uh, but more realistically, and his own Justice Department with an attorney general who is still responsible for the oversight of the Jack Smith prosecutions can very easily say, much to the horror, frankly, of everyone who embraces the rule of law, bring an end to those. He could do that, and that's why this is all important. The reality is that, again, timing is significant. I know that you're also interested to know about just the timing of this trial and when the Supreme Court, when the Supreme Court's decision comes out, that will plainly trigger the things in the trial court. And to be, to be fair, the timing that they've suggested, this April oral art, mm-hmm. this is actually pretty quick for the U.S. Supreme Court, right? It, it, it is. Um, on the other hand, as, as Judge Mary and I were just saying in the, in the break here, you know, if they really wanted to do this, again, they can do whatever they want. They've got the capacity to say, you know what, Donald Trump lawyers, we want your brief here in four days. Jack Smith, four days after that, we're having oral argument on may i'm sorry on march 20th something like that we'll decide this by the end of march they could put this on a real speedy docket it's not the the longest docket that they've ever done but it certainly is not the the quickest they can do this more expeditiously and the timing of it i think you'd agree jim is really is as someone who's practiced in the federal courts the timing of it is more of a pr issue than it is an actual mm. uh legal requirement uh, uh jim's absolutely correct uh, judges control the calendar. We control the scheduling of trials. We control motion practice. We control all of that in terms of what our calendar allows us to do in a given week or a given month. And the Supreme Court is no different uh, than a trial court in that respect. They control the calendar. And in this regard, they've they've uh, sort of split the baby. They 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 if they took this up, I think the the uh, April twenty second date, if I'm not mistaken, that is the final week of their session. Uh, their 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 session ends at the end of June, but in terms of oral arguments, that's the last week for oral arguments. So they've put it out about as far as it can be. Now, uh, yet it's still fast. Uh, considering all things. Is it as fast as what the Supreme Court did in Gore versus Bush? No. Uh, but this is a different court, different makeup, different perspective, and they are sending a message that the politics either way is not going to dictate this. Now, what they've done is create a public relations issue for themselves because the left is saying and the Democrats are saying, you know, they should have, why are they, they're handing the election to uh, to uh, Donald Trump 
uh, and allowing this issue not to be resolved to the benefit of voters, knowing whether or not he's convicted of this or not prior to them going into the voting booth. Those are things that they are not supposed to consider when scheduling. And I think John Roberts, as the chief justice, is going out of his way uh, to schedule this in such a way that actually benefits the defendant in this regard. He, it, he, uh, when Trump wanted to expedite the uh, Colorado voting case, the ballot case, they agreed. They are bending over backwards to show yes, that in yes. this country, we bend over backwards for the rule of law, no matter who you are, whether you're a president or just a Joe Blow on the street, uh, we are going to treat you with the utmost uh, respect in terms of the process, the scheduling of it, how you present your case, how much time you'll have, and they're affording him that opportunity. That uh, is a PR nightmare for them because they're up against a uh, an election this year. If we didn't have an election, this wouldn't be such a, a big issue. The I, way they've I was going to ask it. about the ballot access one because you know you have to get that settled. You do. That one can't wait. No, that that's coming. Wait. That's going to come out. I think you agree, Jim. That's going to come out probably within at least the next, I would say, two to four weeks. Absolutely. Even even shorter than that. Uh-huh. We've got Super Tuesday, um, right. and so that's coming up very quickly. They've got to get that one done. And that one again, I think we know what's going to happen there. The other aspect on the timing of this, Steve, to respond to your question is also depends upon what the Supreme Court says. Mary and I are assuming they're going to simply say, yes, President Armed Kings, no immunity, go back and try the case. If they come back, as judges sometimes do, especially the Supreme Court justices, and put together some analytical framework that has to be addressed by the local, uh, the lower court judge about whether or not it applies in this case. Who knows what they may do? It, the, the lower court may still have to have some hearings about the implementation of it. You hope that doesn't happen. But all kinds of things can happen, even in the wake of a clear, dispositive decision by the Supreme Court that could further postpone the trial of this case. i got to take a break here, but uh, and think about this during the break. It, it, we have this expectation that it's, it's all sort of laid out perfectly, but... This stuff can be messy. It is. Right? Think about that during the break, and we'll get your thoughts. You're listening, of course, to the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Great half, great half hour so far. Another half hour remaining after the bottom of the hour news. You're listening, of course, to the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Great guest today, retired Milwaukee County Judge Mary Kuhnmensch and former U.S. Attorney Jim Santel. So I, I kind of laid it out uh, in front of you before the break. This expectation that this is all, you know, just legalese and all that stuff, but it, it's it is a messy system, right? It is. It certainly is is a circuitous system, <laughs> um, and it may well be messy. Recall as well as we were just chatting during the break that there was also in that serpentine approach to justice here. There was also another option in history not too long ago. That is, that Jack Smith, the special counsel, said, "You know what, Supreme Court, leapfrog over the Court of Appeals. Take this, get this expedited, get this judgment underway." We're now the Supreme Court specifically said no. We want the lower court to look at this. That's what happened. That's a part of this history, too. It goes to Judge Mary's comment about not only judges being able to do what they want to do, but the notion that this is not the most expedited movement forward on an important issue, a clear issue, but an important issue issue for getting this case tried. All cases have, you know, uh, inflection points. They have uh, staggered starts, staggered endings, depending on how, you know, speaking as a trial court judge, depending on how evidence comes in or what legal issue or evidentiary issue comes up that we hadn't planned for or accounted for. That's not very different in terms of uh, what the Supreme Court is doing, in my mind. They are being, if if you want to, you know, uh, take it to the nth degree, it's they are 
being overly cautious. But that's John. That's my opinion that John Roberts is being overly cautious. He didn't want to expedite this. He did not want to have it leapfrog over the the third district. He wanted it to go through the paces to show that this is how the system works and this is how we treat all defendants or people litigants who want to have their case heard by us. We're going to do it in a traditional way. We'll fast track it to the extent that we can. And believe it or not, this is fast tracking for them. (laughs) Is it Gore versus Bush? No. But is it fast tracking for the Roberts court? Yes, it is. Ultimately, we only got about a minute before the news here. Ultimately, this is this not about Donald Trump, but the, the facts of the case. What's the answer to that question? It certainly is about Donald Trump because he is, again, he is the criminal defendant in this case, right? So it certainly is about him and his case. It's also about history, as Judge Mary and I were saying. Uh, we're going to be teaching this in schools around the country for years. And whatever the Supreme Court says to us in June is going to be a part of litigation review in law schools uh, for many, many years. And sometimes procedure and process are just as important as the ultimate outcome of the case. How did we get there? It's, uh, you know, when you were doing your math homework as a kid and, and they wanted to have you show them, the teacher wanted you to show you how you got to that answer. Show me your work. Show me your work. <laughs> well, how did you get to this answer? This is what's happening at the Supreme Court level. So much, uh, so many moving pieces to this story. We'll continue the conversation. We've got a lot more to get to, including if we have some time, we'll get to the redistricting question. And the big question, I asked the governor this question when he was on the show last week, will that be challenged maybe to the U.S. Supreme Court at some point in the future before we get to the official maps for the state of Wisconsin? Uh, so lots more with my guest, retired Judge Mary Kuhnmensch and former U.S. Attorney Jim Santel. Uh, we'll talk about more about the, the, the pending cases, and you're going to bring up, uh, Jim, a question about the Fisher case, so we'll get to that one. <laughs> Having fun on a Thursday if, if legal arguments are fun, and they can be. Always guest, fun. <laughs> James Santel and uh, retired Milwaukee County Judge Mary Kuhn Mens, James, former U.S. Attorney. Um, so we want to just weave in a little other little detail, the Fisher case, which you brought to our attention a couple weeks ago. Absolutely. So we're taking inventory, Stephen, Mary, on all these things pending for the Supreme Court. We've got Colorado coming up. We've got this immunity thing coming up. There's another one. There's a third case involving Fisher. He is one of the people who is convicted in the federal court for the riot on January 6th. He is challenging his conviction on the basis that the statute, the federal criminal statute under which he was convicted and sentenced, is not applicable to his fact situation. That now, just as of last week, has been scheduled for April 16th, a week before the oral argument on the immunity issue. And why is that important? Because the same statute that is at play in the Fisher case is also the basis upon which two of the four counts in the Donald Trump criminal prosecution are also premised. Supreme Court comes back, depending on what they say in Fisher, and says we can't apply this does some other gloss on it, it could have an impact upon the merits of what Jack Smith can prosecute whenever that gets back in front of Judge Well, you Shotgun. said could, though. What, right? So, is that, I mean, just open-ended? Absolutely. Depends upon what the Supreme Court says. If they say, nope, nope, this is just fine, the statute applies, and Mr. Fisher, you are out of luck, then that means that the case as to Donald Trump and all the others affected by this goes ahead. If they once again do some variation and say, number one, they could say, you know what, it doesn't apply, in which case will Donald Trump's lawyers be filing motions in front of Judge Shotkin to say, wait a minute, he's charged in the same statute, get rid of those two counts, you bet they will. So that's why that's important. Somewhere in between, they could say, as they sometimes do, again, you've got to have some findings about how it's applicable, depending upon what they say would have a huge impact upon Mr. Fisher's case, the case of hundreds of others also charged, convicted under the same statute, and arguably, arguably on Donald Trump's prosecution on the interference case in front of uh, Judge Shotkin. Let me let me just follow up on that, Steve, for just a moment, because uh, to pro- provide some sort of real-world 
practicality to this. Uh, there's a phrase <clears throat> that we use uh, in, in the law, and we use it in life, called less is more. And uh, I, in many cases, have options as a trial court judge in terms of how I rule on a piece of evidence, how I make rulings on other motions that are brought before me. The same is true at the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. By that I mean, uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. What, what In the Dobbs decision, f- for instance, we know... Uh, because of all the leaks and what's come out afterwards, that John Roberts was again trying to hold a coalition together. He was trying desperately to get them to narrow their ruling to uphold the Mississippi uh, abortion ban, but without going into the issue of the constitutionality of whether a woman has a right to privacy. Uh, and he was try- he was fighting very hard to do that by trying to get uh, Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh to join him in that. He was unsuccessful. I think if he had had a little bit more time, but once the decision had been leaked, uh, his, the clock was running. But I think he was trying to do that because he was saying, we don't need to rule on that piece of it, so let's not. And in the end, look at the the mess that we have across the country now because of each individual state trying to weigh in on, on this. And, and then the fact that you've got the Supreme Court really cutting off any kind of relief or, or wiggle room for states because they've weighed in on the on the constitutionality of the privacy issue, which had been granted in the earlier uh, Roe versus Wade decision. I'll, I'll so. throw this one at you, and maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Historically, where, where a chief justice has essentially lost his courts, he doesn't mm-hmm. have the sway or the power that mm-hmm. he, he would. Has that happened before? Is it... Something we t- I think the Warren court was pretty solidly mm-hmm. guided by Warren. I think Absolutely. the uh, Rehnquist court, mm-hmm. for sure, very proud yes. of him. He's a Shorewood boy, mm-hmm. a Wisconsin, yeah. uh, uh, Wisconsin product, and and used that good Wisconsin sense to keep that court. You know, used whatever he tools he had available to keep that court, uh, which by the way was an older court, uh, maybe not as diverse as as the court we have now. And younger, it's like even your family. You raise your kids and. Hey, you know, you want them to be free thinkers, and then all of a sudden they're starting to debate you. <laughs> they, right, you right. know, you don't, right. you know, you, as a parent, you want that, but you, uh, you know, it's a, it's a blessing and it's a curse. Well, the same goes true at the, at the, at the Supreme Court level, where John Roberts has got a couple of younger. Uh, there's a generational shift in that court right now. There are three older uh, gentlemen, and then the new Federalists that have joined the court are Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett, and they are. I would not put them in lockstep with Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch. Uh, there's a gender difference, obviously, with Coney Barrett, but there's also a generational shift. They may still come from the Federalist side of the bench, but the reality is that they're from a different generation, and they view some of these things, including Voting Rights Acts, Civil Rights Acts. They lived with those things, and the reality of former decisions by the Supreme Court before they were even thinking they'd be a judge someday. So they bring a different perspective, and I think it's that perspective that John Roberts, the centrist that he is, is trying to pull them his way so that they can join up with Kagan and Sotomayor on some six to three decisions that would uh, uh, move the court forward. Another quick break. Uh, judge, retired Judge Mary Kuhnmensch and former U.S. Attorney Jim Santel. After the break, a couple of texters have, have alluded to this, the comment of treating a president as a king yes. or like a king. Yes. What that means in the context of the things we were just talking about. We'll get to that question and more after this on WTMJ. Continuing our great conversation with our guests, retired Milwaukee County Judge Mary Kunbich and former U.S. Attorney Jim Santel. So a lot of texters seized on the term treating a president as as like a king. Uh, and, and obviously defining immunity would be part of whatever the Supreme Court does here. 
So, I mean, your thoughts about that, if you say, let's, and you both have said that's not going to happen, that he wouldn't have just blanket immunity, but if he does, what does that say about our our judicial system and our, and our, and our way of life in this country? It, pretty shocking. It would turn the rule of law on its, on its ear, and, and I don't, uh, you know, God forbid that that would be a decision that would ever come from our Supreme Court, no matter its makeup, conservative, federalist, liberal, whatever your perspective is of the current justices on there. I uh, I have to believe in my gut as a person who has dedicated my entire professional life uh, to the rule of law and to that that our justice system is mirrored around the world because of how good it is, how sound it is, how how tied to our democratic republic it is. So the reality is I don't see that happening, uh, Steve. I, I would like to think that that uh, that's a pretty simple issue. C- can complications come up such that they would? Have anything uh, that would you know? Uh, could could John Roberts get a a nine zero unanimous decision? I'm hoping for that. Uh, could it be a six three? Yeah. Could it be a seven two? Sure. Uh, I don't see the majority of that court ever granting absolute immunity uh, to a uh, president or anyone because by their status or their professional status, because that would turn our rule of law, the basic foundation of our law, that no one is above the law, not even presidents. That's what. Uh, the Nixon case said, uh, and I don't see them going uh, and trying to uh, find a, a way around that or to, or get so convoluted, uh, what we used to say, tied up in your own underwear. You don't want to do that. You want to be clear when you can be clear, and if this is an issue that needs to be clear, I don't know any other one that would. I'm hopeful that it's a 9-0. I think that's what John Roberts is trying to get to. Uh, could it turn out to be a 7-2 or, or a 6-3? Sure, uh, but that would put those two or three dissenters in a real box about why would you dissent about something that is so fundamental to our rule of law? And to underscore Mary's good point, recognize how stunning that would be in terms of our own constitutional history. It is built into the Constitution, certainly the second second article, but also all, all the Constitution. Presidents aren't kings. This is Federalist paper stuff. This is John Jay. This is Alexander Hamilton of Broadway fame writing many, many years ago saying, you know what, we do not have kings. And this is we're establishing this thing called the presidency, but it's got checks and balances. That's been the part of our history for 240 years. They go in the opposite direction. It is undermining. It is rescinding all of that. And that's where history is really interesting because what our first president uh, and one of our great presidents, George Washington, was absolutely reluctant to sit a second term because of that fundamental belief that they were all yes. operating under it at the origins of our great country, and that is uh, we don't want to restore a monarchy over here. Uh, I don't want to get in the habit of sitting any longer than I have to, and then it turns over to the next person, and we do that through an electoral process. And by having me you know, uh, carry a second term, think how unusual that is. FDR sat almost four terms. But at it, it, our infancy, George Washington was saying, we're not kings, I'm not going to sit here forever. Think about this one during the break. Uh, take your legal hats off. Judge hat, U.S. attorney hat off. Any of this surprise you that this is where we're at? Think about that during the break. Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Great guests on this Thursday program. This week has just flown by. And uh, the Political Power Hour, we're in our second full week. Our guest today, retired Milwaukee County Judge Mary Kuhnmensch and the former U.S. Attorney Jim Sen. So I asked you kind of before the break, did you see this kind of a firestorm of legal questions happening, let's say, four years ago or three years ago? Did you see it coming? I didn't. 
I, I, you know, and, and, and I don't want to get real dark here, but I, I, people have to be realistic. We, it is a, we are a nation of immigrants and we all come with different perspectives and, and issues and baggage. Uh, and the reality is democracies do have this messiness to them. That's just the nate, even republics, democratic republics, which is what we are, are, are messy by, by nature. And that's okay because then we waddle through that. And we come out better on the other side. This is a real test about uh, how the dark side has reared its head, uh, how people can cheat, uh, no matter what your politics are. Can bad, do bad people get off the hook? Do they not get convicted? Yeah. Does that happen in our system? Yes, it does. Um, that's the, because it's made up of human beings, and we're all flawed to one degree or another. So when you have you know, a, a culmination of what seems to be uh, in some people's minds, Donald Trump being able to rig the system once again and that he is against, he is uh, getting above the law. Not really. I think that, you know, he will be eventually uh, accountable for all of his actions, however the chips may fall through trials and so forth or through the ballot box. But that's part of our democratic process and we have to get used to it. Do I like that it's all hitting us in the face, uh, squarely in, in a very compressed period of time? No. As we go from one battle to another, and it, it seems to exhaust most people. But this is part of our, I think, our our heritage and our history. I also did not see it coming for 30 years. Worked with the Department of Justice, nine different attorneys general. I always say, and would say during that period of time as well, reasonable people can disagree, right? And I think the sig- significant shift that I have seen recently is that when we talk about things like immunity for a president, that's not a reasonable position anymore. And yet we're fighting about it. That's the great distinction here. Decisions about how you interpret federal statutes, how you understand prosecution policies, civil litigation issues, reasonable, rational judges and um, people uh, prosecuting cases. They can have differences of opinion and we resolve those. This is of a different kind. And that's a concern that I have. Future law students will be studying these all these cases for, for generations, right? I mean, that, that's the kind of level of, of import we're talking about. Absolutely. Mary mentioned before Bush versus Gore. Uh, this will be, again, United States versus Trump. This will be in criminal text. This will be in procedural text down the road. And we don't know what else is coming out, right? There may be other things out of these other cases that would also give grist to the law school professors <laughs> and judges to talk about for years to come. Real quick, because I only got about a minute or so, um, redistricting, we, it seems to be settled in Wisconsin, sort of. I had the governor on the show last Thursday, I believe, and he said, I don't expect a lawsuit, but you never know. And he, he gave Republicans credit for you know, pass, you know, passing his, uh, his maps. And either of you see any trouble down the road for the maps as they currently exist in Wisconsin? I think those maps are as close to, you know, uh, perfect is the enemy of good. But these are as close uh, uh, as as to a, uh, I think, a, uh, uh, a standard by which they will be upheld from a constitutional perspective. And I say that as someone who sat as one of the six judges uh, appointed to the local uh, Milwaukee County Redistricted Committee on, on the issue of where the boundary line should be with respect to uh, county supervisors. And the politicking from the left and the right uh, disabused me of any notion about whether or not they, a legislature, is able to put politics aside and, and come up with, uh, uh, with uh, maps that are for the people, for the, for the voting public. One vote, one person. That's the principle behind it. And uh, having experienced that from being on that committee, I think the governor listened uh, to his uh, experts 
and came as close to perfect as he could get. And I think the proof is in the pudding. He, he only got two Democratic votes, so even people in his party were angry at him, and he still passed him, which is uh, kudos to him for doing that. Real quick to James. One other brief uh, civics note, and that is the Supreme Court has told us that it is no longer in the business. Federal courts are no longer in the business of reviewing political partisan gerrymandering. They are in the business of reviewing racial gerrymandering. They had the case last year. They've got another case pending right now coming out of South Carolina. That will also should put an end to a further appeal of the Supreme Court on this political gerrymandering issue. Racial is different. The federal courts are involved in that. They're not involved in p- partisan gerrymandering And cases. the Supreme Court, uh, within the last year and a half, backed uh, or actually uh, t- uh, said the ma- sent the maps back uh, to the legislature in Alabama and said that there is were, their maps were not uh, uh, did not pass muster and were not consistent with the Constitution. Political Power Hour Legal Edition. Retired Judge Mary Kuhnmensch, former U.S. Attorney James Sansell.